Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. We have two nurses who are going to be joining us and sharing their stories from the front line. And I want you guys to be very candid, ask your questions if there are things that, you know, you want to know about. Now, mind you, we're going to be HIPAA compliant, Okay. Don't ask any crazy questions. You know, as candid and as honest and as transparent as we can be, we'd like to be that for you because I know it's a very difficult time when your loved one, your friend, your family member is in the hospital, especially if they're ICU, uh, acute care, and you can't go inside and visit them. That's challenging. And not all facilities have the opportunity to FaceTime or have iPads to do that type of, you know, family sharing So it can be very challenging. And I wanted to bring on two nurses who voices in the community. They're very well respected in our community. And let me give you a a brief introduction. The first nurse that I'm going to introduce, you guys have seen her on social media. And I absolutely adore her TikToks. I mean, they just like bring me life in such a very tragic, sad and depressed state that we may be in. You know, and we have this, this nursing humor. I believe that her TikToks and her videos have definitely made people smile in times where it's very hard to smile. So um, I'm going to be uh, introducing Kalita Raphael. She is a med surge tele nurse, but she has been working COVID medicine, COVID step down. So I'm going to be excited to bring her on the show. And then as well, we have another nurse who'll be joining us. Yvette is an ICU nurse. She's an ICU float nurse. She's done some pandemic assignments, especially early on in the pandemic when we really didn't even know what we were dealing with. And because of that, she has been featured on some various news stations on Fox, ABC. So without further ado, I'm going to bring these two ladies uh, onto the show with me. I'm really excited. Please welcome to the show, Kalita and Yvette. Hi. Hi. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. I have to say, these ladies, myself and Nurse.org, we had these ladies come on uh, the show because we, you know, we respect what they're doing. They're very experienced nurses. They're on the front lines of the pandemic, taking care of very, very sick patients. Kalita, I mean, you mentioned your whole unit is COVID, right? Yeah. So she's working in COVID step down. And and I'll say this, while we are in a pandemic, we still have other people, people with you know, our heart attacks and strokes and things like that. But the hospital is overrun by people with COVID-19. And these ladies are, you know, putting themselves on the line. And we appreciate that. We salute you guys. And we just wanted to kind of just jump into this and hear the stories from frontline nurses. We hear a lot of them on the news, right? A lot of stuff on the news, highlights, and they talk about what they want to talk about. They take their stories, they spin them how we want to spin. But this is a nursing show, which we still welcome you if you're you're not a nurse. Obviously, we want to share. But this is a chance to get the tea, the real inside scoop of what happens at Ground Zero. Each of these ladies are going to share a story. You know, they have several stories, but they're going to share a story or two about what they've experienced at the front line 
how it's made them feel and all those things. So if you guys have questions, this is your time. And especially if we have nursing students who you're entering the field and you want to know what it's like, these are your, this is your chance to answer those questions. Chantel, was it a mental thing for you also? Okay. So what are nurses thinking? How are we getting through this mentally, emotionally, and all of those things? Kalita, let's just start with you because I just want, I'll just want to say you created and I don't know if you were doing these TikToks before pandemic or was it after pandemic, but I have to say, you know, even outside of what you do as a nurse on the front lines, you found time and energy to create these videos that are making people smile in times where it's hard to smile. And I wish, you know, I need to tag Kevin Hart and um and Nini. I, love, the Nini it. I love the Nini one. Really. I love it. Love it. So we'll start with Kalita and Yvette, well, then we'll come to you. But Kalita, tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, you know, your experience, what you've been doing during this pandemic and how you kind of came to doing some of these videos. Okay, so um, I'm a registered nurse in New York. Um, I've been in nursing um, pretty much my whole life. I started in nursing at 16 in an LPN program. So actually this is my ninth year licensed as a nurse. And um in March, when the pandemic started, we kind of were like thrown in there. Um, my unit was always um, a high acuity med surge unit as well as um, a progressive care unit. So we always had a large volume of respiratory patients, but um, varying patients. But in March, we were told that we were going to be the designated COVID unit um, until the whole hospital became COVID. The ICUs were overrun and we became ICU overflow. So that's when we were rapidly trained to become step-down nurses, learning about things like drips. Um, vented, well, we had vented patients, but a different quality of vented patients. And it was a very uh, difficult transition. Kalina, let me ask this. You said that you were, during a Mrs. Pandemic, you were required to learn learn these new things, more drips, you know, other other things. What was that like? What were your What were you and your fellow colleagues thinking like, what? I mean, I don't know. What were you thinking? The way that my colleagues are, we're such a strong team on my unit that it was a matter of, we need to do what we have to do for these patients that are coming in. Everybody is feeling it. Everybody's burnout. We need to learn. So when the, the classes came to us, we just started and we ran with it. The second they told us we were becoming stepped down, it was, not, don't fall back, come in. And we didn't lose nurses. Nurses kept coming to work. People didn't take their leave of absence. They just came and was and were ready. The most challenging thing, though, is we had a lot of new grads on the unit. So I work night shift, and my hospital tends to onboard night shift new grads onto night shift. And it wasn't; it was tough. To, these were this was the first time they'd ever seen intubations. They'd ever seen colds. They'd never saw vents. They never saw um, these drips. But they ran with it, and they learned. And the experienced nurses were there to help them out. So it was a it was. It was tough, but it was a strong bonding experience for us on our unit. So I can imagine, and any of you guys, ladies chime in, you know, you're you're comfortable in your specialty, you're doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, and nursing is, we're always learning. Right. But I will say this, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Some people like working ICU and vents and drips and stuff like that. Some people like working with babies. And some people like working in mental health and psychiatric because that's their thing. But then stuff comes rolling down and, you know, really, really fast. I bet that was probably challenging for your staff and the new grads because new grad orientation is not like what it was before. Mm -mm. No. 
And if you guys haven't are um, already, you got to make sure to follow Kalita because she also has some fun TikToks and videos about new grads. I forget. There's the one where I forget, but basically she's talking to the doctor like, you want smoke? I got, don't talk to my new grad, talk to me. So it, I think it's hilarious. And so Kalita, the videos, they kind of just, where were those birthed out of? So I noticed that with the pandemic, there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of depression. There was just a lot of we were so, in so much mental pain, emotional pain, that I've always been the, the clown on my unit a little bit. I love to make jokes. So I said, instead of crying about what we're doing, maybe we should laugh about it instead. So that's when I started um, making my first TikTok. And it was, I was actually terrified. I sent it to all my friends. I said, is this funny? <laughs> and then um, I kept making them and they people loved them. People were very supportive and um, I get inspired by the thing I know best, which is nursing, <laughs> nursing life, see, the, the struggles that we have, the a little annoying things that happen along the way, and the fun times, the great things about nursing. And I think that's the best part about making those TikToks, because it talks about the, the whole aspect of nursing, the good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> right. And we know that laughter is the best medicine. And you were able to kind of tug strings on some of those commonalities some of kind of our um, our idiosyncrasies within the professions and tease them in a way where it's fun and we could smile. So thank you for, for doing those videos. And, and I'm going to come back to you because I definitely want to hear about your particular story. But let's let's go ahead. Yvette, we saw you on, on the videos. It sounds like, and I didn't realize you have a twin, but you have you and your twin went traveling at the very start of this pandemic when we didn't even know what we we're dealing with. We were struggling with PPE. Tell us a little bit more about your thought process and what made you decide to do that. So actually... Um, <laughs> this is a little personal, but I was fresh on the heels of a divorce. So, you know, the travel option was like ideal. You know, of course, uh, New York was the first thing that popped up because of um, the extreme shortage of nurses and the whole pandemic happening and everything else. And it was a scary decision. And actually, you know, when we told our mom, hey, you know, we're thinking about going to New York. And she was like crying on the phone and no, no, no. So, you know, we were like, okay, if we actually decide to go, we're just not going to call her. We're just not going to say anything. We'll just call her when we're already there. And then she can't talk us out of it. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's what we did. We basically like just ignored everybody until we got there because otherwise there was going to be a lot of pushback from people, of course, friends, family, they're concerned, they're scared. I mean, we're scared, you know, frightened. I mean, you don't know what you're going into. All you hear is people are dying, nurses are dying, um, hospital workers are dying, there's no PPE, there's no anything. So you don't know what you're going into. And, and, um, you know, but it was a call that we felt we had to answer. And the fact that her and I actually put our heads together and said, let's go together. That was like, you know, that was enough to seal the deal for me. So, so we did. Right. And I, <laughs> I commend you for that. And again, it's interesting your approach of not mentioning it to other people. It's, you know, just kind of like, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and not let the naysayers. Cause I can, I can Im imagine the many people who would have talked, tried to talk you out of it because of the lack of PPE. And what we didn't know then that we know now is that um, each state's a little bit different, but anywhere from six to 25% of most of the health professional deaths are with nursing. Nursing, we spend 
the most time with patients. So you have frequent and prolonged exposure to patients. And again, what we didn't know then that we know now is that we had so many people who are asymptomatic. So they come in for one thing, and then now you swab them, they're like, oh my gosh, they're COVID positive too? They don't have any symptoms. Right. So a lot of things going on. A lot of unknown variables and just a lot of, you know, the media portrayed probably worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so. The public had to know that, hey, this is really happening on our turf, you know. And so we we still felt that we had to answer the call. You know, I, I've been an ICU nurse now for 10 years. This month makes 10 years. So um, I knew I had the skill set. And so at least... With that premise, I was able to um, answer the call and justify me being there because I have the skill set to be able to work these kinds of patients. So I was okay with that. Yes. Well, and thank you for that. I know you mentioned your ICU float. So you see a little bit of everything. Yes. Um, William, thank you so much for that comment. I mean, it is amazing. She's very brave to have done that so early on because I'll be honest, it's, and especially those of us who probably don't, and you bet you float. So let me start with that. You float already in the hospital. So you're okay with floating around. Some right. of them, I don't know about you, Kalita. I like my unit. I like my space. Yeah. I know what everything is. Now, obviously I've, I've gotten out of that, but I, my preference would be that it's, I'm on my home unit because I know where things are. It's either you have the floaters or you have the like, no don't ever touch me. Don't move me. Don't, don't do it. Oh, and so, <laughs> and so, you know, actually early in my ICU career at, the two-year mark, which was the time that I was allowed to, you know, join the float pool um, for ICU because I worked at a level one facility, which is very large in Houston. I I started like right then at the two-year mark right away. And it was, it was daunting. It was scary. But I said, if I don't go in now and do it, I'm never going to learn. I'm never going to know what it's like. And I want to be well-rounded because I want to be able to go anywhere and find my way. And I mean, honestly, you know, nursing is universal. Wherever you go, you're going to assess, you're going to give meds, you're going to, you know, look at orders, you're going to do certain things that are the standard of care everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Everything else is variables like supplies and people and other things that you can kind of work around. So, right. And so I, I know you guys probably have tons of stories to share. I can't wait to get into them. But just real quick, I wanted to answer Yashamika had a, a comment here. Many new grads are not getting clinical due to COVID. Lots I'll answer for that. <laughs> I can answer for that. Yeah, but let me just say real quickly, part of that was a safety reason. So I've been clinical faculty, and part of it is at the start of this pandemic, we didn't have enough PPE for our regular staff. So to introduce nursing students and just really unsure of how it would impact them if they got infected, we really wanted to limit exposure just like we don't want you to gather, we want to limit exposure. So that was some of it. And I think different hospitals have different thresholds for who's letting students in and out. Some hospitals are doing it, some are not. It very depends on your state and kind of what's going on in your community. Some places are really spiking with COVID-19 cases. Some, their cases are pretty well handled. So I think a lot of that plays a role in it. Go ahead, Yvette, you were gonna, you were gonna comment on this one. And then I wanna hear what you, from you, Kalita, on, on your students and things like that. So actually, um, it's funny that uh, Yashamiko brings that up because <laughs> I just finished uh, training a new grad. Last week, I finished his orientation. And so, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, was, it was a challenge. And I, 
I understand what she says where the new grads didn't get their last portion of clinicals due to COVID. So they're already coming in with less exposure and less, you know, knowledge per se, because they didn't get that clinical experience that you get in the last semesters to kind of round out your whole nursing school curriculum. And so we've had to, you know, go back and kind of tailor orientations and, you know, I mean, it, it was hard. It, it's, you know, you have to say, okay, this is, you know, the standard, but due to COVID, we have to modify this, this, and that, and the other. And so now you have a new grad who's just looking at you like, oh my God, so what do I do now? And Because <laughs> classes are cut short. A lot of the didactics and the the training yeah. in the classroom and videos, that's how... I'm not going to say it's completely out the window, but it's abbreviated. I think a lot has moved online. Kalita, what are you seeing with new grads in your facility in your area? So the new grads that started with me, they were, they had a little bit more experience, but the ones that are coming in right now, um, what our hospital does is they are giving them some exposure onto our unit and then they're floating them to any units that are non-COVID so that they have an experience dealing with general medicine patients because Prior to COVID, my unit dealt with a lot of dialysis patients, cardiac patients, especially because we dealt with um, telemetry. So they have to get that experience to become very well-rounded. It's difficult because they're, the, the new grads that are coming out now might be a little bit less sure of themselves, but it's just about having strong support on the units that they come on to, um, be a source of encouragement to those um, new grads coming in, be a source of help, help them to understand, like Yvette said, I think she said it perfectly, this is the standard. This is what we have to work towards. COVID is just going to be a temporary thing. Yes, we're have, there's a lot of leeway we have with COVID, but remember the standards that you need to set yourself to. And that's why I encourage a lot of new um, new nurses, just because we're COVID, hold yourself still to a specific standard. Right, right. Yes. Yes. Still assess as best we can, still round as much as you can, right. make sure your documentation right. is flawless. Right. Just hold right. yourself to your own personal standards. All right. Thank you for that. Now, I want to go ahead and jump into some of your stories. So there's a lot that happens. If you could kind of give us a brief synopsis of a situation and maybe a unique or situation or something that just touched you or changed you. I think that people really want to know what are nurses going through? What are we seeing? I mean, anything from you didn't have PPE to do your job to you know, a tough decision you had to make. Yvette, if you want to go first and tell us briefly about a story or a situation we'd, we'd like to hear. Okay, well, I'm actually going to take it into a little bit of a different angle, if you will. Um, I want to talk about New York. I want to talk about, uh, you know, w- what you hear in the mainstream media is, you know, how bad the situation was, how many people died, how many people were infected, how we didn't have PPE and how those kinds of things took place that made it a horror story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna kind of move on the positive note of things that maybe people didn't see and hear coming out of New York. You know, um, New York was a once-in-a-lifetime once experience. And when we got there, it was literally all hands on deck. It was... It didn't matter what your title is, if you're doctor, your nurse, your CNA, you're this, it didn't matter. If you had a skill set, you know, you you t- 
took the lead and, and you know, you took the reins that day and, and you you teach everybody else and, and you support everybody else and everybody helps do their part with whatever they're good at, whatever their knowledge base is. And, you know, I've, I had doctors, you know, helping me, you know, do bed baths and, and, you know, change linen on patients and turn patients and all these different things. But again, it didn't matter. It was just, we're all here. We're all in this. We need to keep each other safe and keep our patients, you know, alive to the best we can. And that sort of teamwork, um, I, you know, I haven't seen anywhere else. And of course, we haven't had any situation like that ever in healthcare as long as we've been alive. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to speak on that because, you know, everybody, again, always talks about, you know, the lack of this and, and how horrible it was. And, and you know, mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily want to come in with a horror story just because I wanted to really acknowledge uh, what my experience was and what it did for me. And, and you know, while while the situation was disastrous for patients and, and for for healthcare workers as well, because we were, you know, we were getting sick too, you know, just by sheer exposure. Um, thankfully, I never got it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Um, but, you know, several of my colleagues did. And it was, you know... It was not nice for them, but yeah, I I wanted to um, just say like that changed me and, and it gave me kind of like that glimmer of hope that, you know what, like team healthcare, you know, healthcare can be collaborative and, and should be. And, and when we all work together like that, you know, we did the best we could. And that was just, that was that. And, and everybody went home with that, that, you know, we right. tried. It, it, it sounds it's like all, all hands on deck. All yeah. hands on deck. Sure. As long as we got a pair of hands, let's go. Let's move do it. Position. <laughs> come on, we got to roll this patient over here. We got to do, do this. Doesn't matter. Um, no, no. Listen, it was the best show of support, show of camaraderie. Uh, <laughs> when the military stepped in, you know, um, the military stepped in, and 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 the same thing. It was just that principle of we're all together. Let's go. And that was what it was. And honestly, that's one of the things that got me through because although it was so hard um, to, to work these patients and, and so hard to see people die, 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 it was, um, that was refreshing because you knew you were going to walk into a team and you knew you weren't by yourself at any moment of the day. Teamwork makes the dream work. And in this pandemic, I think that, you know, we Pre-COVID, we kind of had our, everyone had their lane and I did this, you did this. Yes. Now we all, if you can, if you got two hands and it's in your scope, let's do it. Say <laughs> that there might've been some things that are probably out of people's scope, but then in the state of emergency, under supervision, they did it. And they yeah. did it because it was well-intended to save lives. And Kalita, I'm gonna segue to you in a second here, but I wanna say, in sort of a little bit of my experience. So I've, I've experienced the, the teamwork aspect of it too. And I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer, but I will say that there were times, actually even most recently, because I'm here in Los Angeles where for a certain period of time, we had zero ICU capacities. ERs were shifted into ICUs and the ERs were pushed outside. But I have taken some assignments at some small community hospitals. We ran out of ventilators. We ran out of meds. For those of you who may know, when someone's blood 
blood pressure is dropping, they become septic, like that systemic infection, you got to give them fluids. We're giving fluids, but you sometimes need to add or certain medications we call pressors to get the pressures up. We got to order for levofed. We're out of levofed, start Neo. There's no order for Neo. I don't care. Let's, we got to start Neo. So yeah. we just were operating with what we had. It was all well-intended. Now, mind you, that's not the ideal, but just so some people are aware that there is, there has been and is, especially in certain, uh, and more so, I, I believe probably the smaller community hospitals that are less resourced, they're still, you know, struggling with some things. But teamwork definitely occurs. You'll have travel nurses, people from all different places come together as one to take care of patients. But that's a, a good thing to see. Now, Kalita, if I get this, understand correctly, everyone on your unit has COVID. Is that correct? Every patient. So it's a COVID designated unit. You have COVID, you're going here. Yeah. So how that happened was um, during the beginning of the pandemic. So March, uh, we were all, all the units were converting rapidly. So one by one, each unit was becoming a COVID unit. And then because of our skill set and because of the fact that we dealt with respiratory patients for a while, we were COVID ICU overflow. And this was until um, about mid-June. Then June to September, everything was fine. You know, we would get COVID patients here and there. Um, we converted back to medicine and it was, it was a little calmer. But then September and spikes happened again in New York and we were the first unit designated where we dealt with all the COVID patients that came in then as numbers started to rise again, we opened up more units. So it was us in the ICU and the ER pretty much feeling that pressure at the time. For the general public who may not know, on these COVID units, and I, you tell me if your unit looks like this, like you're walking into the corridor, you got to zip up, zip down into like to get to walk into what was once an open area, like an open, uh, what do you call that? An open oh, doorway. Yeah. Now they, I don't even know what the material is called, but they plastered everything up, everything zip up, zip down. There's a little antipartum room. I got to gown up, do all this stuff and then go in. How has that been? And you both of you ladies can answer this mentally, emotionally, like coming into work, knowing that you got some really sick patients to take care of. How's that been? It, it was, for, I think for me personally, it was very tough. And so my mom is also a nurse and she knows the type of nurse that I am. So she would like call me in the middle of the night on my shift, reminding me to put in and put on a mask because if somebody needs me in a room, my patient or my coworker's patient, I'm running in. And it has happened where I forgot maybe my shield because I'm like, or I forgot to put goggles on or I, I forgot, one time I forgot my N95 because I saw the sats dropping. I'm like, okay, we got to go. But Mentally, it was so stressful just knowing that you had you were seeing people that were otherwise healthy, that were otherwise fine, no comorbidities, no past medical history, and the course of their life is now altered, being on a vent or permanently traked. And it was heartbreaking. I think the moment that it became very real to me is when I walked in to get my assignment and I met a patient that was my age. At the time, I was 25. So to see an intubated patient, an intubated 25-year-old, it was just, it, my unit is a lot, it's 20-somethings. The majority of the nurses there, you have a large amount of mid-20s right there. So it was that feeling of, you know what, this could be you. This could be you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's scary. And I've definitely been in a situation where I've taken care of people who are my age or younger than me. And to see them so sick with COVID-19, intubated, sedated, proned. And for those of you who don't know what prone is, prone is when we uh, lie a patient on their belly to help 
kind of help with oxygenation in the lungs is the simplest way that I can put it. Very sick patients that I've noticed, and you guys can tell me if you guys have seen this, we're learning a lot about COVID and how it impacts the body every single time. I've seen people who I'm getting a report and I'm initially early on, I did, are they, were they in a, a car accident? They can't move their arms and legs. And a lot of these people, I don't know what all of the inflammation and how it attacks the body systemically. These people, for the, not all of them, but many of them, for the most part, become almost like functional quadriplegics. Like they can't move anything. They're so weak. They're so tired. They, I mean, you take that CPAP or BiPAP mask come off just a little bit or something gets kinked with the oxygen. Like their O2 saturations tank. Like they are so air hungry. And I have to be honest, I, I've cried. I don't know if you guys have cried in the break room. I've not cried on my I've not cried on my way to work, but I've definitely cried at work, even when I've had a break and then on my way home from work. And even when I, after I've come home, I'm crying in the shower, like so hard to see people, you know, go through these things. And you guys tell me if this has been your experience, but now a lot of, I bet you mentioned it, shared responsibilities used to be the physician would call the family to let them know that the patient has passed away. I was, the nurses at this particular facility were calling the family members to let them know their their family members have passed away and that like killed me inside to hear the the crying and even before i made the call i'm starting to get all choked up because i don't want to have to deliver this message and then to hear the heart breaks verbally over the phone the screech and the cry made me cry and so how are you guys dealing with it emotionally like what do you do for self-care yvette so actually that's been one of my biggest uh struggles because I don't know if you're seeing this in Los Angeles or not, but we saw this in New York and certainly in Texas. The majority of patients uh, that get really ill with the COVID are Hispanics. And I, you know, I'm of Hispanic descent and I am generally one of the very few on the unit that can speak Spanish. So guess what I'm called to do a lot? Translate. And it is just heartbreaking to, you know, first of all, these families can't really communicate. Uh, they can't see their loved ones. And then they're they're crying. And, and just to hear a voice that can communicate with them over the phone, they're so thankful. But it's still so heartbreaking because, I, you know, you can't help them. And the, the wailing and the screaming, it, it just gets to be too much. And, you know, every time, it does it every time. I don't care. I've been doing this for almost a year now. And every single time, you know, I, I start tearing and, oh, my gosh. It never gets any easier. It just doesn't. It doesn't get any easier. There's been some... I don't want to say speculation because I actually think it's facts now that this has been such a very traumatizing experience to healthcare workers. I mean, I I, I reference nurses because we're the largest segment of the healthcare workforce and we're the ones that are providing most of the continuous, continuous care, but very traumatizing with what we're seeing, what we're hearing, conversations that we're having. And I'll just share this one experience. I remember being at this particular facility. We ran out of vents. We ran out of IV pumps ran out of medications and there were like code blues on overhead because the patients were that so, so sick. And literally there would be a code blue. We tried our best to resuscitate the patient. They wouldn't make it. By the time I even am able to leave that room, code blue, 
on the tele unit. They're wheeling someone to the ICU to come up and they're bagging the patient. They're like, we need a ventilator. Where do you think their ventilator is coming from? Exactly. And we're running out of IV pumps. So I remember I needed two IV pumps. I needed to give Levo. I just put my IV, my saline on a pressure bag, but I had something else that I needed to give. I think it was antibiotics, but I said, I need some pumps. Alice, the patient in room four passed away. You can grab his pumps. The patient was still connected to his pump. Like the lines were still connected. And I just remember like I, that day, like I remember there, I had, I had, didn't a break, no bathroom, no nothing, but there was five minutes where I was like, I need to eat something. My sugar, I felt out of thought of everything going on. I just felt horrible inside. And I just stopped and I literally screamed so loud in my head. I couldn't cause I'm in the unit. And I just thought, what is happening? I've never been in a situation where we run out of vents, medications, pumps, the essential things that we need to take care of people and to see, and this is a small community hospital, majority Hispanic, African-American, and they were just so sick, so, so sick. So I'll be honest, I, I had to take a, I had to take a break. I had to just like, I remember I came home and I was telling everyone how much I love them, how much I appreciate my friends, like just trying to be grateful and thankful for everything. But it's hard. It's very traumatic. And they anticipate that, you know, that especially nurses will, there'll be such a wave of post-traumatic stress disorder in many of us after this pandemic that we're going to be in such a great need for mental health workers, which we is another shortage because we don't (laughs) have enough of those people. I just wanted to share that little bit of a story, but uh, Kalita, there's got to be a particular story that stands out in your head that you you remember. And we're running short on time. I'm so sorry. This got really, really good. But if you can just tell us real quick about a, a story that you remember and then the lesson the lesson that you learned out of that. I think one of the stories I remember in, in that story kind of brought it to mind. Um, I had a patient and I had him the day prior um, on the Friday. Um, his daughter called and, oh, sorry, the patient's daughter called and was talking to me and asking how they're doing because this was just a fresh ICU transfer. So I was trying to be positive and I was like, you know what? But seeing the notes that I'm reading, the signs that I see, things are looking good. Things are looking great. I was off on Saturday, came back Sunday. Got to work at 6.30. I I walked onto the unit and they're saying, there just was a code. And, um, I was like, okay, which, what patient? And it was that patient that I had on Friday. And he, and that patient was coding in that moment um, while I was, uh, while I was coming on into work. And this was supposed to be my patient again that night. And I, I remember after everything happened that they said that the physician had spoken to the um, patient's family, speaking to the daughter. And that moment I found out that the family member was a 16 year old girl. Yeah. And so Mm-hmm. That, so right then and there, they were, they were like, oh, she, they need to come to the hospital to at least say last request. And then they said, no, we're going to do this via Zoom. And I remember begging my charge nurse to please, I, I can't, I cannot go in that room to put that patient up to, to do the Zoom conference with the family. I can't do it. I, I was like, for the first time, and I'm somebody who tries, I don't like to cry in front of people. I was going to the supply room or to the bathroom, just try to hide away because I want to be the strong person on the unit. Right. I help as many people as I can. But in that moment, I was like begging her with everything in me to please. I don't want to go in there. So they ended up calling an ER social worker to come do the Zoom conference that, with that family. Postmortem care right beforehand. Uh, they did the Zoom conference and she came out and she was crying. And the two of us were just hugging each other. 
like forgot about social distancing for a moment and just were wow. remembering that, you know, real lives are being impacted right now. But not only just the patients, but their families. And it's never, it's nothing that we'll ever see, we'll ever see again. And yeah. I never forgot that. And, and hearing Yvette's story just like brought that, that was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. I'm getting a little triggered because I had to call and the, the daughter was 14 years old. This is one of the hardest phone calls to make. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, um, it's, um, I didn't mention that when I got to the particular facility in New York, um, the hospital was so packed with ICU patients. It was literally one big ICU ward. Every floor was ICU patients. So they had to open up ancillary units, you know, in, in uh, recovery rooms and other areas to just house patients. So we opened one of those up. So the entire shift, we were in PPE, full full gear. And so crying was barely an option because you're crying. You can't wipe your face. You can't, you know, your mask gets soggy and, and the straps break. Anything happens. And, and it's like, it was so hard to keep it together because it's not like you can step out and run to the bathroom, take your mask off and come back. Like it, it was a production just to get in there. And then you had to stay there. And, you know, these patients are just in stretchers and, and, you know, like you said, no IV pumps. Um, I, I didn't see a respiratory therapist for, you know, at least a week or two, you know, when I got there, because there were none, there's two for like, you know, 400 patients. Like that's, insane and you know it was just the ventilator situation that was that was a struggle the ivy pump situation med supplies i mean it was it was all um oh gosh it was it was a bit much the same thing with like finding respiratory therapists like you this is the moment you learned how to titrate everything yourself you can't wait for somebody to come in because you got to do what you have to they're do. They're not coming. Oh my, <laughs> you know? there's, no, there, there's somewhere else. Not there. needed. Um, the running out of vents was the heartbreaker because I was calling providers like, this patient's O2 sat is 80, 70. And they're like, there's no machine I can give you but this non-rebreather that's on their face right now. And I think one of the things that I learned from it, you asked like the lessons we learned. I came home and I was just like hugging my parents. Like, you know, this could be, this, like, my mom was worried about me I'm worried about her. We work two block, we work four blocks away from each other, but her mind is on me and my mind is on her. She doesn't deal with COVID patients, but she's freaking out. And it's just remember to appreciate the people around you more and more. Absolutely. I think that's very important. Show, you know, appreciating our health, enjoying living in the moment. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.